This week on Blue 58, after months of anticipation, the draft is done. And we're left to sort through the pieces. We'll tell you what you should be excited about at the top end of this year's draft, why it's okay to draft a punter and a long snapper at the end, and how one specific trade could be a big part of what makes or breaks the middle portion of the Packers draft. Then we'll dive into what the Packers should do next and who could be on the roster bubble. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very excited to be with you here for this post-draft edition of this here podcast, and what a fine one it is shaping up to be already. I can just tell. I've got a feeling. I hope you had an exciting weekend. I sure did. Did the draft a little bit different this year. Uh, I didn't do the sit and watch every single pick thing as I've done in the past, and I think you know, it paid off. I did watch the entire first round start to finish and, and did a bunch of things on the blog, as you might have read in, in that. But Friday night, I just kind of wandered in and out as the Packers were getting ready to do some stuff, even went to bed before their third round pick actually happened with the trade up. Wrote about it first thing, thing the next morning. Then on Saturday for day three, I actually went and saw a movie. Went to see Avengers Infinity War. And if you're into that sort of thing, you should probably go and see that movie. I think it's worth your time. And if you're into it, you've probably seen it already. So uh, for whatever my endorsement is worth, you should probably, I don't know, see it again if that's something you're into. Again, not really important. But the point is, uh, I, I waited until pretty much everything was done on day three and then kind of just took stock of where the Packers were and wrote from there. And I enjoyed it. Uh, it gave me a little bit of distance between what was going on, and I didn't get quite so burned out on watching every single pick tick through. Had a good time, and there was a lot to like and a little bit to dislike about the Packers draft, and I think we'll talk through some of those likes and dislikes uh, as we kind of evaluate what went on over the weekend. Sound good? Good. Let's dive in. Starting with the very first thing the Packers take out of the 2018 draft, and no, it's not Jair Alexander. I think if you're going to talk about evaluating this draft class, you're doing a disservice to yourself and being unfair to the Packers if you don't include the 2019 first-round pick as part of the overall, I don't know if you want to use the word grade, overall evaluation of, of what you think of this draft. Because really, it's about what you get out of draft weekend. And the Packers got a 2019 first-round pick out of the deal. And I think that's fantastic. I think teams should be really, really receptive to any offer involving a future first-round pick just because of how good it could possibly be for the team uh, that's on the receiving end. This could be, I mean, theoretically, it could be the number one overall pick. I don't think things are going to go that poorly in New Orleans, but it could be. Could be a, in the top half of the draft. Could be a top 10 pick. Who knows? Even if it's the 32nd pick in the draft, the, the Saints win the Super Bowl. Everything that the Packers gave up to get that pick still ends up being about the equivalent of a second-round pick. So their net return ends up being about the value of a second-round pick. They're coming out ahead, even if is the worst thing that it could possibly be. That's pretty good, in my opinion. So right off the bat, I think the Packers are in really great shape. I like that a lot. Another thing I like, and this one's going to be pretty uh, pretty broad, but I like everything that has to do with Jair Alexander. Uh, I liked his suit. He looked phenomenal on draft night. Uh, I like everything about him as a player. And I guess what one thing I like the most as as we come out of this draft weekend before we really get into what we see about him as a player is just how enthusiastic and positive in general he seems as a person. He's really in a lot of ways kind of the 
the anti-Demarius Randall, uh, the last cornerback, defensive back, whatever, if you want to get into the debate of what position Demarius Randall is really, the Packers took in the first round. Uh, Randall's a little bit on the surly side, a little bit standoffish, a little bit arrogant, and Alexander just seems the opposite. He seems happy, he seems confident in himself, but he seems just generally like a positive, fun, upbeat guy to be around. And I think there's no better evidence of that than seeing how he reacted to uh, seeing Lamar Jackson get picked. I thought about throwing the audio in here, but really it doesn't it doesn't do it justice. Look up for yourself just uh, seeing the, the reaction of Jair Alexander to Lamar Jackson, his teammate getting picked by the Baltimore Ravens with the last pick in the first round. So, uh, Alexander, just a really positive, fun guy, uh, and fun to see all the stuff going on just around him as a person. As a football player, I'm pretty excited about him as well. Yes, he's a little bit on the short side for defensive backs, but I don't think that's as big of a deal anymore as people make it out to be. The two examples that all always come up are Ahmad Carroll and uh, and Terrell Buckley. Ahmad Carroll is almost 15 years ago already, maybe even more than that. I forget exactly when he was drafted, and I don't want to. I don't care to look it up at this point. That that's a long time ago, and Terrell Buckley that's 26 years ago. If you're only two Alexander, uh, examples of why Jair Alexander is not a good pick are Ahmad Carroll 15-ish years ago, roughly 26 years ago, you may want to update your objections just a little bit. The game has changed so much since Terrell Buckley was picked by the Packers in the first round in 1992. And it just using him as an example of why f- uh, short defensive backs don't work in the first round is just not a good one. And you know, Terrell Buckley went on to be a pretty decent player, just not for the Packers. He worked out. It wasn't necessarily a bad pick. So if you're going to put up some objections to Alexander, uh, don't start with height. If you want to argue that he's a little injury prone, I might buy that a little bit. A sprained knee is not a super big deal. It just, it really isn't. And a broken hand, that happens. So what? Uh, Beyond that, it looks good. Uh, he's as good an athlete as you're going to get at that position. His athletic comparables are right up there with Denzel Ward, the best defensive back by consensus, I guess, in the draft. I mean, what else do you want? Plus the addition of a first-round pick in that selection. I think it's about as good as it possibly could be, and I like what he brings to the Packers' defense. Moving right along to like number three, I liked the value for Josh Jackson in the second round. Uh, as you remember from last week, Josh Jackson would have been my first pick uh, if he was available uh, among cornerbacks. I, I like Derwin James a lot. I thought he could have brought a lot to the Packers. I like Minka Fitzpatrick a lot, but if you're just talking cornerbacks, heck, Josh Jackson is, is pretty good. He's big. He's reasonably fast, though he doesn't have blazing speed. He's got good agility numbers, and he is a turnover machine. Uh, and I think as you get further into the draft, your your evaluation of a guy's faults uh, changes a little bit. If you took Josh Jackson, Josh, Josh Jackson, at fourteen, you might be a little bit more concerned about uh, drawbacks like his speed because of the pressure of picking in the first round. But the further back into the draft you get, I think you know you start to to fudge on those things a little bit. At forty-five, a guy that you thought you might pick at fourteen, I think is pretty good, no matter how fast he is, and I think. 
uh, just given his size, his length, and, and everything that goes into it, uh, we're going to be pretty happy with Josh Jackson. At the very least, one of these two has to has to uh, work out for the Packers. I hope so, at least. And I think there's a lot of good reason to hope that things are going to work out. Uh, moving along, further down in the draft, I really like the versatility of the Packers' mid-round picks. So the Packers trade back into the third round and get Oren Burks, a linebacker from Vanderbilt. He was one of the people we mentioned as the best athletic fits for the Packers at inside linebacker. And if you look at the things that he's done in college, you can really see why. Uh, He was a safety. He was an off-the-ball linebacker. He was an edge rusher. He was just a traditional inside linebacker. The guy can do it all because he's a really good athlete. His testing numbers for a guy his size, 6'3 and mid-230s, is really kind of off the charts. I would describe it as if Joe Thomas, the former Packers linebacker, not the Browns' former offensive lineman, and Morgan Burnett had some kind of impossible, very large baby together. Uh, He's bigger than both Thomas and Burnett were, but he does a lot of the same things, especially Burnett over the last couple years. Uh, Covers guys in and around the the line of scrimmage area, kind of roves the middle of the field um, on passing downs in particular. I really like this pick. I don't know if he's a reach in the third round. Some people say that. What do we really know anyway? I think if you're looking for athletes, he's as good an athlete as you're going to get at inside linebacker, one of the best at least, especially given his size. I keep coming back to that. But uh, I like his versatility. He can do a lot of different things, and I think um, using him along with a guy like Josh Jackson in the box would be really, really interesting and exciting, and I'm interested to see how Mike Pettin uses him this year. He might even force a guy like Jake Ryan off the field a little bit, which is, I guess, fine with me. Um, there is a lot of Jake Ryan hate out there. Not hate, dislike, distaste, perhaps. Um, I, I'm pretty much a nothing on Jake Ryan. Uh, he's, he doesn't take a lot off the table. Uh, he doesn't bring a lot to the table either. So if you're going to replace Jake Ryan with a guy who's faster, more athletic, and, and can get to the ball quicker, I think you, you probably got to do it. Uh, I'm a little less convinced as to the idea of him supplanting Blake Martinez, uh, just because of how cerebral a player Martinez is and what he's going to mean for, I guess, the overall Packers defense. But Burks, to me, real good pick. Uh, Really interesting addition to the Packers defense. But there is something I don't like about the Burks pick that we'll come back to here in a second. Uh, More on that here in just a little bit. Um, I also like the versatility of Cole Madison. The Packers introduced him as a guard, and he'll probably start out there, but he's got a background at tackle, started his entire career, uh, every game that he played pretty much was was at right tackle. And as we know, the Packers love to take those those tackle prospects and turn them into guards. Uh, John Eric Sullivan talked about how they like the versatility of a guy who has played in space on the offensive line at tackle and putting him inside. It really shows what they can do athletically if they play well on the outside of of your offensive line. So really exciting to see another prospect there. If he ends up being like a superior version of Don Barkley being able to line up at, at guard and tackle whenever you need him. I think that's a great pit fit for the Packers and a great pick. And with the value they've gotten from their, their mid-round offensive lineman over the years, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about this guy too, especially given his size. He's a little bit bigger than some of the guys the Packers have targeted towards the middle round over the last two years. Uh, as we get towards the end of the things we liked here, uh, I like the athletic late-round flyers. Uh, James Looney, 
on the offense or on the defensive line, uh, rather, is close to superstar level athleticism. And it may not seem like that at first, but uh, going by, I don't know if you remember all the way to last year, we did a piece with a guy named Ken Lee Platt. Uh, he writes for the SB Nation Detroit Lions blog. He came up with this thing called relative athletic score that kind of tries to put one number on a guy's athletic performance. Of the defensive linemen, the defensive tackle specifically in this draft, Looney was in the top two or three guys at his position. And I think if you're getting him in the seventh round, that's pretty good news. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Is he going to pan out? Who knows? Um, Probably not. Just looking at the way seventh round picks tend to pan out. But I think if you're going to pick late in the draft, uh, taking guys that probably aren't going to make an impact anyway, you might as well go with the super athletic high upside guys. That also holds true for Equanimius St. Brown. The first time I've said that out loud, I think it went pretty well. Um, (laughs) He's the kind of guy to me that you pick on Madden when you've got a couple extra draft picks. You're going late into the draft and suddenly you see this guy come up. Oh, 6'5", 4'4", range 40. Yeah, I'll take that. We'll see if we can work with that. Even if his catch rating is like 73. I mean, he's 6'5", and he runs like a deer. You see what happens, right? That's where you are with St. Brown. Who knows if he can actually play at the NFL level or not. But we do know that he's freakishly athletic. And I do mean freakishly athletic. Given his size, he, he's a pretty great athlete. And he's got a pretty amazing athletic background if you look at his parents. Don't know if we want to crack open that particular can of worms just yet. Um, but those are the kind of guys that you got to take those late round flyers on. And I like that the Packers did that. Uh, if you look at their other receivers too, and you don't, I don't know if you go up to the, the fourth round and talk about athletic flyers there, but all of their, their receivers kind of fell into that mold. And it was interesting to see uh, the Packers working with that sort of body type, especially getting some speed. It seems like the Packers have been slow at receiver for a long time here. Finally, I like that you could see the plan for everything. There was a logic, a, a very apparent logic to every pick that was made. Um, the trade down, when well, you get that pick back next year, the trade up, you could see the logic there. And it, it seemed like something the Packers were going to look to do almost immediately as soon as they traded down. Doubling down our defensive backs. If one doesn't work out, you've got the other one. If both of them don't run, probably just got unlucky. That really wasn't your fault. Just on and on throughout the draft, you could see the plan behind everything. There was no sort of pick this year, and this might raise a couple eyebrows when I say this, there's no sort of pick this year where you where you went, huh, that doesn't really make sense. There are two in particular that I bet you're wondering about, and we'll get to those here in a second. But I, I think looking back and taking a couple of days to think about it, you can really see the plan in everything that the Packers did, and that felt pretty good. Sometimes looking back, it didn't always feel like we could see what Ted Thompson was necessarily thinking. Things I didn't like. Well, I didn't like how I kind of panicked early on. Uh, as soon as Denzel Ward went at four, I started to get a little bit nervous. Uh, and then Bradley Chubb went at five, and suddenly we went hadn't had as many quarterbacks picked as maybe we thought. And then things started to get a little bit weird, and I wondered, I wondered if anybody was going to follow the Packers' way. And then he started to watch Derwin James fall and thought maybe he's going to be there at 14, And he ended up being there at 14 for the Packers, and they traded out of the spot and ended up getting the big return and blah, 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 everything like that. But I was really nervous early on, and looking back, I feel a little bit embarrassed about how how I felt there. But uh, all's well that ends well, right? And uh, I think everything seems to have ended, at least right now, in May, 
months before we play any football that matters. It seems like everything worked out pretty well for the Packers. I didn't like initially, but have come around on the idea of drafting specialists. The Packers took a punter in the fifth round, J.K. Scott out of Alabama, and then a long snapper in the seventh round. Right away, my reaction was, oh boy, that doesn't seem like a great idea. You never really want to be drafting kickers or punters, and you never really want to be drafting guys that you're probably going to pick up as undrafted free agents anyway. But I've come around on the idea, and I think I support it for a couple of reasons. First, chances of getting an impact player in the fifth round or later is really slim. Let's look back 13 years, 14 years now, and look at guys in the fifth round or later who have really made Packers, and we're being generous with a few of these guys. You've got Johnny Jolly in 2006, Desmond Bishop and Mason Crosby in 2007, Matt Flynn in 2008, Brad Jones 2009, Marshall Newhouse and James Starks in 2010, Micah Hyde in 2013, Corey Lindsley and Jeff Janis in 2014, Brett Hundley and Aaron Ripkowski in 2015, and then Aaron Jones in 2017. Those are guys that are all day three picks. Of those people, fifth rounders, we've got seven. We've got Johnny Jolly, Desmond Bishop, Mason Crosby, Flynn, Starks, Janis, and Ripkowski. Who's the ceiling among those picks? James Starks, a pretty good at times, number two running back when he's healthy. That's as good as you get among those day, uh, those fifth-round picks or later. Uh, Micah Hyde, I guess, was was also a fifth-round pick. But, man, it, it's slim pickings. So the idea that you're missing out on some stud guy to pick a punter or a long snapper is a stretch, I think, in some instances. I think what you got to do in these rounds between the fifth and the seventh is just get your guys get guys that you know are going to to, that you either know are going to fill a, a need for you or they're really high upside guys that if they do something they're going to be spectacular if they don't do anything at all it really doesn't matter because they're a day three pick anyway I mean I think those are the the two extremes and the Packers for as good as Justin Vogel was last year can always get better at punter I had a commenter on Facebook or Twitter or something tell me that, has it been 20 years since the Packers had somebody really, really reliable at at punter? About that long, probably. Josh Bidwell, he was pretty okay. Kind of had a Tim Massey sort of career arc. He started out pretty solid, went away for a year or so because he had uh, testicular cancer, which, you know, great that he came back from that. But uh, later in his Packers career, he started to tail off a little bit, then went to a warm weather uh, kicking city and did a lot better. Mastay much the same. Uh, started out a little bit rough, uh, or started out pretty solid after taking over for John Ryan, and then kind of tailed off. Uh, turned out that maybe you know he wasn't the answer at punter. Justin Vogel had a really great year last year. Well, really solid year, but I think in large part a lot of it had to do with Jeff Janis and his great coverage abilities. If the Packers get a guy in Scott who can just kick the crap out of the ball, great. You just, you know, set yourself up at punter for the next decade. As to long snapper, sure, maybe you don't want to draft a long snapper. But again, how many impact seventh round picks can you think of off the top of your your head without naming Donald Driver? Okay, I'm tired of hearing Donald Driver come in 
every time that we got to talk about seven round picks. He's a once in a lifetime sort of guy that you get in the seventh round. That just doesn't happen every year. Every team is hoping they get a Donald Driver. Of course, it's not it's not rocket scientist or science to point that out. Okay, the Packers need a long snapper. They went through three of them last year. Uh, they've been trying to replace Brett Good for a long time. If Hunter Bradley is the guy who does that, great. Again, you've figured out that position for 10 years. You're never going to have to draft another one. You're never going to have to think about it again for a long, long time. So I have come around on the idea of drafting specialists late in the late in the game. If if they don't work out, who cares? Who, no, no draft picks in that range are, are anything close to a guarantee. So you're taking flyers on guys anyway. Finally, the last thing I didn't like. No edge rush help, no tight ends. I know they drafted Kendall Donerson way at the end of the, the seventh round. So close to the end of the draft, you could practically see Mr. Irrelevant getting warmed up. But really, the Packers could have used some bodies there. And I think that is uh, the one good argument against drafting a guy like Jake. Maybe you're missing an opportunity to get a guy uh, like I don't know. I don't have an example off the top of my head. Maybe you're you're missing an example. Maybe you're missing a chance to get a guy who could be some edge rush help. Maybe not. Again, you're taking flyers late in the draft anyway, but there is a little bit of opportunity cost there. Also, no tight ends drafted. And here's one situation where I think the Packers moving around could have traded them a little bit. I started a while back uh, a, a list of every trade the Packers have made in the draft just to see who ended up getting taken with the picks the Packers gave up. The trade that netted the Packers, Oren Burks, at pick number 88 in the third round, result, uh, was went down because the Packers gave up the 101st and 147th picks to the Carolina Panthers. With pick number 101, the Panthers drafted Ian Thomas, the ginormous tight end out of Indiana. And with pick number 147, they took Micah Kaiser, an inside linebacker who we rated pretty high in terms of athletic fits for the Packers. Those seemed like two picks that could have helped the Packers a lot. Had they just, had they done the exact same thing that the Panthers did, they could have filled two needs maybe instead of one. Now we don't know for sure how Oren Burks is going to play out. And we don't know for sure how Ian Thomas or Micah Kaiser is going to play out either. But it is interesting to see that the Panthers took two guys who would have fit in, I think, pretty well with what the Packers were looking for with picks that the Packers gave up. I'm not saying this is going to entirely make or break the middle part of the Packers draft. I do think it is interesting, though, that things just happened to work out that way. Overall, I feel real good about what the Packers did in the draft. I think you should too. But again, we're a long way from seeing meaningful actual football. And who knows, one of these guys could step out and get hit by a bus tomorrow and it could ruin their entire draft class. Hope that doesn't happen. And if it did, I would be concerned about the guy, you know, getting hit by a bus before what it would do to the Packers draft class. But again, the, the, my point is that we're a long way of seeing from seeing how exactly this is going to play out. I am excited to see it play out though. So, where do we go from here? Ryan Gudikinst has done in his time as general manager so far. I do think there's a pretty good chance that he is not done in free agency. Gary's got a post going up tomorrow talking about the Packers' chances of signing Des Bryant. Um, at, I don't know if the Packers need a receiver at this point anymore. But the, the larger point is the, the Packers have been 
potentially in the market for another receiver for some time. And Des Bryant's name has come up, and he's come up repeatedly on this podcast, in fact, as a guy we are relatively interested in, in seeing the Packers check out. Along those same lines, we've also talked about Eric Reed, uh, a safety that I think the Packers still would be well served to sign. Um, the Packers didn't get a lot of help at the super back end of their defense. Uh, Alexander and Jackson help at corner, but I think they, they could use another skilled body at safety, and Eric Reed seems like he would be that. I think there is a chance that whether it's Bryant or Reed or somebody else, that Gutekunst does make a move between here and the start of training camp, or maybe once some injuries shake out in training camp, once training camp gets started, once the preseason is underway. He's been aggressive in every other phase of his general managing. I think there is a chance that he could continue to be so. And there are some other good options out there. If you look at tight end, uh, you've got Julius Thomas, last played for the Miami Dolphins. He's 29 years old, hasn't made a Pro Bowl since 2014, uh, playing with Peyton Manning, but he was spectacular that year. Uh, Had 12 touchdowns in 2014. He also has had 12 touchdowns in these seasons since then. So that tells you a little bit about how his life has gone. Packers do need pass-catching tight ends, but I'm not sure Thomas fits what they're looking for from their number three guy. They're probably looking for a number three tight end at this point. You could also look at a guy like Gary Barnage. Uh, People have kicked the tires on him a couple times. Uh, There is some, some connection with the Packers there. The Packers tight end coach coached Barnage in Cleveland And, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, Maybe the Packers could be interested in bringing a guy like him on on board. But you also look at uh, edge rusher, and there are a couple names out there. Uh, Derek Johnson, formerly of uh, Kansas City, torn Achilles in 2016. He's 35 years old, but maybe they give him the Tremont Williams special. Robert Ayers, uh, two sacks in 2017, pretty good against the run, 33. uh, So maybe on the back end of his career as well. May also want to think about a guy like Courtney Upshaw. He'll be 29 heading into uh, this season. A replacement-level pass rusher, but still, the Packers could use uh, some more help at edge rusher. So maybe there's some guys out there. The draft also, unfortunately, puts some guys on the roster bubble, and I think there are a few names right off the top of my head uh, who are in trouble here. We explored a few names Uh, in a piece this week already. Want to add a few others to that. I think Devon House and Quentin Rollins right off the bat are in trouble at defensive back. Those are probably names between six and eight, maybe five and eight on the depth chart somewhere right now. Rollins especially coming off a torn Achilles, just that's that's a tough break for him, but he would have been an athletic outlier in the Packers defensive backfield um, this year. Uh, they're getting faster and quicker. He is neither fast nor quick. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a, a an uphill climb for him to make the roster this year. At, at receiver, Geronimo Allison and Trevor Davis. I would even throw D'Angelo Yancey in there as well. Um, we got faster and bigger at receiver through the draft. And uh, either of those guys are, are either big but not fast or fast but not big. And uh, it's going to be... It's going to be tough, I think, for all three of those guys, maybe any of those guys, to make the roster at all. Um, Brett Hundley could also be in a bit of trouble. Uh, I don't know if the Packers will look to carry him again this year. Um, it's always a question, and I think if uh, if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, there's really not a whole lot of reason to carry more than two. Uh, because, as we saw last year, if Aaron Rodgers goes down, you're pretty much on a wing and a prayer anyway. Um, it 
they like Ke- they must like Deshaun Kaiser a lot because they they traded a fairly promising defensive back to get him, and uh, I they did get a decent return in the form of moving up in the draft as well. But I, if I'm Hundley, I'm making sure the resume is polished, and uh, I'm I'm trying to have the best preseason I can to get a job either in Green Bay or with somebody else. Finally, Justin Vogel. Uh, he had a fine year last year, but he's not known for having the strongest leg in the world. And strong leg is pretty much J.K. Scott's calling card. He can uh, kick the ball as hard as anybody. So we'll see how things shake out for him uh, in training camp. Another fun punting battle to watch this year uh, through the preseason. While I've got you here, we haven't uh, really talked about undrafted free agents a whole lot. And we'll get to that as we go throughout the next couple of weeks. But my favorite undrafted free agent players so far in my limited looking into this class is Tyler Lancaster. Defensive tackle out of Northwestern with a name like Lancaster, who sounds like he was built in Amish country. Just looking at him, it kind of looks like he was the result of a barn raising. Six foot three and change. So somewhere between six foot three and six foot four, 315 pounds, 10 and five eighth inch hands monster pause there a wingspan of more than 80 inches he ran a sub five second 40 yard dash great time in the agility drills and my absolute favorite part 36 reps at 225 on the bench at his pro day throw it up there big man i don't know what the backers are looking for on the defensive line because we're in a bit of a transition period is mike Penton going to be playing more of a three four style hybrid defense or a little bit more of a four three it's all sub packages anyway so who really knows but i do know this it's always good to have a lot of bodies along the defensive line and lancaster is a real big promising body it'll be fun to watch him through training camp this year that's all i've got for you this week what an exciting draft thanks so much for following along with us uh, online on the blog and uh, via our podcast coverage as well we've had a lot of fun interacting with everybody around the draft you can find us as you always do at thepowersweep.com and at the power sweep on both facebook and twitter if you'd like to reach us by email and i'm very thankful to all of you who have reached out via email continue to do so at the power sweep 1959 at gmail.com If you would choose to support us, and we are ever so grateful for your support, throw in a dollar a month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep, or buy one of our very fine-looking t-shirts at spreadshirt, uh, uh, not spreadshirt, teespring.com. Reach the uh, Teespring store via the store link at thepowersweep.com. And the freest and easiest way to support The Power Sweep is to give us a review on iTunes if you'd like. Uh, No pressure, but it is free and easy. It takes just a couple of seconds. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us all become smarter Packers fans. As I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we are all trying to be. I am your host, John Meerdink. We will see you right back here next week on Blue 58.